strip, the team found out that uh, later on in the strip, the team found out that the man who was their primary contact, uh, he had been previously miraculously healed after not being able to walk before. Uh, he passed away suddenly. Also, one of the Indonesian gospel workers found out that her mother passed away unexpectedly. Uh, and in her preparations to go back to her hometown, she tested positive for COVID-19. And so she wasn't even able to attend her mother's funeral. That same day, one of the team leaders was in severe pain due to gallstones. And because she lived in a remote province and the hospitals uh, were, uh, were, were full during the pandemic and their equipment was broken, she actually couldn't find any treatment in her city. So doctors, they asked doctors in Jakarta, but the doctors in Jakarta did not recommend her to come due to PPKM and because they were only taking urgent cases. So she's had to wait it out and pray that it doesn't get infected. And if it gets infected, it would be a, a very serious problem. Uh, so when we met online this past week, we all had to acknowledge that they had suffered a lot of losses recently. Um, these are probably not what you would expect when it comes to yay God testimonies, right? Uh, these were not wins, but my point here is that Jesus' disciples also will inevitably experience hardships and difficulties. And those hardships and difficulties can still be a positive thing. This is what Paul points out as well in today's passage of scripture. Just for some background here, there were these false apostles who had gained prominence among some of those in the Corinthian church. And they attacked Paul's authority as an apostle. Um, and so Paul has been defending his ministry and depend, uh, dis- defending himself in this section of the book of Second Corinthians. And so uh, now we're going to go ahead and read Today's scripture, uh, this is God's word from 2 Corinthians 11, 16-33. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. And to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever else, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking of as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? 
If I must boast, I will boast to the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Amen. If I could summarize the heart of Paul's message here to the Corinthians and to us, it would be this. Following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weaknesses. My sermon today is going to follow the flow of Paul's train of thought in this passage of scripture, uh, arriving to the conclusion that following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weakness. Uh, Here are the main points of his line of thought. First, who is really the fool in verses 16 through 20? Second, who is really a servant of Christ in verses 21 through 28? And third, who is really able to boast in verses 29 through 33? So in each point, I'll I'll also share a discipleship lesson from Paul. So let's pause and let me just pray for God's anointing over us right now. Heavenly Father, help me to preach your word persuasively and passionately and prophetically today. Keep the internet um, alive. Help our attention be locked into your Holy Spirit so that you can continue to do this transforming work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Are you ready to get into this? Amen. So here's what we need to do first. Look at verses 16 through 20. Who is really the fool? So in these verses, Paul confronted the Corinthians about the false apostles among them who, in truth, threatened their well-being. Discipleship lesson number one is this. Following Jesus is a narrow path that leads to life, and all other paths uh, deceive and enslave. Remember, there were some in the Corinthian church who had um, who were now under the influence of these false apostles who were thinking that, that Paul was actually not qualified to be a true apostle. In fact, they labeled him a fool. And so Paul responded by writing what he did in verse 16, which I paraphrased so that we can understand it a little bit better. He wrote something like this. I'm not a fool. That's for sure. Even though you might think so, I'm not. So I'm going to act like a fool and boast a little for myself but it actually might surprise you what I boast about. And so once again, with a touch of irony in his writing, he turned the tables on those in Corinth who were thinking this way. Uh, He goes on in verse 18 to say something like this. Many of you Corinthians boast about fleshly things that are actually not that important to Christ, or they're not special status symbols in the kingdom. Stuff like wealth, knowledge, status, followers, and power. You think of yourselves as so wise but you tolerate such foolishness. And this is what these people do to you. And then in verse 20, Paul mentions the specific things that these false apostles did, their teaching, their influence uh, in their lives. These false teachers preached a message that actually didn't free them from sinfulness and condemnation, but actually enslaved them into more sinfulness and condemnation. They actually, dev- they actually devoured the true faith and new life in Christ uh, in these Corinthians 
by steering them away from Christ. They actually took advantage of the Corinthians by profiting financially at the Corinthians' expense. And they put on airs of authentic spiritual power, but they were actually counterfeits of the real thing. They actually abused the Corinthians. They struck them in their faces and they kept telling them that this was actually good for them. You know, if you think about it, these were almost the same reasons that Jesus rebuked some scribes and Pharisees during his life, um, as recorded in Matthew 23. This is what Jesus said about these scribes and Pharisees. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on people's, uh, lay them on people's shoulders. They love the places of honor and f- at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They make their converts twice as much a child of hell as themselves. They were blind guides. They tithed mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier matters of the law. They cleaned the outer outside of the cup and plate, but inside they were full of greed and self-indulgence. They also outwardly appeared righteous to others, but within were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Do you remember from last week the truths that I mentioned from verses 1 through 15? The first was that our goal as a church is to stay on the path of sincere and pure devotion to Christ until he returns. And tied into this was that as we walk that path, our responsibility is to faithfully embody the the values that Christ values, no matter what the results may be. You know, we won't ever be fully perfect uh, in this, but as we imperfectly follow Jesus this way, we will continue to see our growing need for Christ. And by his grace, Jesus will be changing us from the inside out. That's why Jesus gave this warning in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Uh, Church, can I just actually share a huge worry and concern uh, for us here? You know, what I really worry about is that some of us are deceived or will be deceived into counterfeits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I recently read this article in a newspaper called the Washington Times titled America's New Religion, Fake Christianity. And so in this article, they talk about how so many people in America who think they are Christians are actually what they call moralistic, therapeutic deists. And so I don't think this is just in America. I think that's, that's, that can be here as well. So let me just read this quote from George Barna that was from this article that explains what this means. Quote, the moralistic perspective is we're here to be good people and to try to do good. The therapeutic aspect is everything is supposed to be geared to making me feel good about myself, ultimately to make me happy. Deism is the idea that God created the world but has no direct involvement in it. Basically, according to MTD, moralistic uh, therapeutic deism, there is a distant God who just wants everyone to be nice and the purpose of life is to be happy, end quote. Church, I fear that many of us, whether it's in America or here, if we don't carefully look at what the Bible says, and if we don't thoughtfully 
discern truth together from God's word, we will also be misled down this road, this broad path to destruction. Contrary to this, let's grow to discern the true biblical gospel of Christ together as a church. Let's learn discipleship lesson number one, which is following Jesus is a narrow path that leads to life and all other paths deceive and enslave. This is why I think the Christian life is aptly described as following Jesus. We simply follow him. We follow him with childlike faith, always trusting that in him is salvation and life. We follow his footsteps and footsteps and how he lived, what he valued, what he lived for, and whom he obeyed. We follow his leadership as he speaks to us through his word and as he guides us in his spirit. So in verses 16 through 20, Paul addressed the question, who is really the fool? And second, let's look at verses 21 through 28. Who is really a servant of Christ? In these verses, Paul went into a lot of detail about how about the great suffering that he experienced as a genuine servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, discipleship lesson number two is this. Following Jesus includes carrying our crosses by sometimes suffering for the sake of Christ. Now, as Paul continues his train of thought, let me paraphrase again verse 21. He said something like this, my team and I do not buy what those false apostles are selling. You think we're weak, but we're really not. So let me do a little boasting of my own in order to convince you that we know what we're doing. So Paul actually was writing this with with a lot more irony, but um, this was basically his point. He continued by presenting uh, his perfect pedigree, his family background. He, by calling himself a Hebrew, he said that he was not only Jewish by background, he had his family roots in the region of ancient Israel. He was an Israelite among the people of God who were direct descendants from, from Abraham, their patriarch. Paul wrote elsewhere that he could put a lot of confidence in these kinds of things, in his ethnic background, in his religious heritage. But when you look at verse 23, this is really the key to this middle section of his thought process. Look at it. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. What he really took pride in was that he was a servant of Jesus Christ himself and a far better one than these false apostles who opposed him in Corinth. What proved his point, what he could really boast about was this extensive list of external hardships that he had faced in his life as he followed Jesus. There were these strange things. These were actually strange things to boast about. But let me explain as we go through them. Paul said that he'd experienced far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. These were really weird things to measure himself by, weren't they? Um, he had been subject to more hard work, more times being put in jail, more times getting beat up, more near-death experiences than his opponents. He had actually suffered the inglorious punishment of 40 minus one lashes with a rod, not once, but five times. This was the most severe type of beating that was allowed in the scriptures, and it was done by the synagogues when Paul was accused of blasphemy because he preached that Jesus was the fulfillment of the scriptures as God's promised king and savior. 
He said in verse 25 that three other times he had been beaten with rods for disturbing the peace. And even one time he was stoned, which is a method of execution by blunt force trauma from rocks being thrown at him. All the way through verse 27, Paul listed all the other dangerous situations that he faced. Shipwrecks and being adrift at sea while traveling by boat. Threats of robbers and bandits while journeying by land. Betrayals by people pretending to be his friends. Nights when he couldn't sleep. Days when he didn't have enough to eat and drink. And times when he didn't have enough shelter from the cold. To top it all off, Paul said this in verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Praise the Lord. It is encouraging for me that the Apostle Paul admitted to struggling with anxiety. So he's just like me and he's just like many of us here during this pandemic. He had anxiety because he had the burden of responsibility to care what was going on in all of these churches, like the church in Corinth. These congregations that he started and that God had led him to care for, he was worried about them. He felt this pressure every day. He had anxiety every day over these churches' health and well-being in the midst of all these bad things that could have been happening to them. This is a very long list of hardships and suffering that Paul experienced as he followed Jesus. If you think about them, some of these sufferings were a direct consequence of when people did not agree with him about what he believed in Jesus, right? Some of these were because he simply obeyed Jesus' call, which put him in some dangerous situations. Did these hardships and sufferings prove that he was not a true disciple or apostle? Not at all. And in fact, these were part of the calling to follow Jesus as a disciple, not just as a special apostle, but for all disciples of Jesus Christ, as the Lord himself said many times in the gospel. He warned the disciples in Matthew 10 that they would face a lot of opposition, even from their own families, because they followed Jesus. It could even be said that Jesus caused these kinds of conflicts. And Jesus taught his disciples this important principle in Matthew 10, 38, 39. And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the call to follow Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the call to follow Jesus Christ. We don't need to masochistically create our own suffering. But friends, we should not be surprised when we suffer following Jesus either. We will suffer sometimes as we follow Christ simply because many people oppose Christ or oppose what he stands for. We will suffer sometimes as we follow Christ because sometimes obedience in our lives puts us in difficult situations. This is what Jesus means by taking up our crosses daily when we follow him. We are willing to take on that suffering and pain. That's discipleship lesson number two. When following Jesus includes carrying our crosses by sometimes suffering for the sake of Christ. So listen closely and listen well, uh, church family and friends. Any so-called gospels that do not have this part of following Jesus is not really the biblical gospel. So Paul here teaches 
that following Christ will be, not all the time, but definitely sometimes, uncomfortable, conflict-creating, painful, or even dangerous. It can sometimes be uncomfortable. There will be different viewpoints on issues like business ethics, sexuality, or entertainment that will, that will conflict with friends. It can sometimes be conflict-creating to follow Jesus. Your family members might be upset because of activities you choose to do or activities that you choose not to do as a follower of Jesus. Now, just as a disclaimer for these two examples, it doesn't mean that we have an excuse to be rude, unloving, arrogant, or fleshly. We really have to actually honestly and humbly deal with it with those issues in our own hearts. But what I'd like to highlight again, is that sometimes discomfort and conflict is unavoidable. Following Jesus can also sometimes be painful. It might be painful to make financial decisions like tithing faithfully to the church or giving generously to worthy causes, even though that means having a lower bank balance after the month or after the year. And finally, you know, If we really want to share and show the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unengaged, unreached, or unwanted groups of people in our city and in our nation, uh, disclaimer here, unwanted groups of people uh, are unwanted by society, but they're loved, they're wanted by Jesus. And if we want to bring the gospel to these groups of unwanted people in our city, then we might find ourselves sometimes in dangerous parts of our city or dangerous parts of our country. Let me be honest with you. As I thought about the sermon that I had to preach today, I had to wonder to myself if if I'm carrying myself, my cross, if I'm denying myself enough. For all, I had to ask myself, do I suffer? Do I experience suffering enough as a disciple of Jesus? And this is what I have to say to myself, as well as to all of us here, uh, as we're challenged, maybe even, maybe even possibly feeling guilty. You know, we don't have to create these kinds of situations. But as we do follow Jesus, we will sometimes experience uncomfortable, conflict-creating, painful, or even dangerous situations. Don't be surprised when it happens. Because Jesus said from the very beginning that this would be the case. These hardships are not a mark of God's lack of care or God's lack of control over our lives and over the earth. These are marks of following Jesus Christ and they are for our good and they are for his glory. So first in verses 16 through 20, Paul addressed the question, who is really the fool? Second in verses 21 through 28, Paul addressed the question, who is really a servant of Christ? Third, let's look at verses 29 through 33, who is really able to boast? In these verses, Paul concluded for the Corinthians that in light of the gospel, he boasted of these things that showed his weaknesses. Discipleship lesson three is following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weaknesses. And this is the one thing uh, for the the entire sermon as well. Now, please listen carefully, very carefully as I talk about this last point. Uh, Think about this. Why in the world would we want to suffer like this? For some of us here, 
Paul really does sound like a madman, doesn't he? Or maybe it's just Paul. Like he just likes suffering. For regular people like, like you and me, why would we want to choose this life of following Christ if it involves such suffering? And this is where we have to really look at verses 29 and 30 very, very carefully. This is the crux of Paul's reasoning. The English Standard Version of verse 29 that we read earlier is a little bit confusing. But actually, the New International Version is a little bit clearer. So let me just read that for us. Uh, The NIV says, Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So do you see this? Uh, Paul shares more personally here. So for the Corinthians and for us, so that we don't think like, Paul is just some super spiritual, out-of-this-world, masochistic person who likes suffering. That he's weak, just like everyone else. Paul still burns with desire to sin and does sin like everyone else. Paul does uh, sin and is a normal human being, and especially including these situations of suffering. Then in verse 30, this is really his thesis statement. He says, if I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In other words, Paul embraced all these experiences of hardship and suffering because it reinforced the reality of his own weakness to himself and to others. These situations helped him to feel weak, which was good because he truly was weak. These situations helped him to feel the burn of his own fleshly desires, which was good because he was truly fleshly. And then even greater, this helped Paul know that he needed Christ and that God's salvation was 100% an act of God's grace. This is why suffering was worth it, according to Paul. When he denied himself and carried his cross to follow Jesus, he saw more clearly the new life that Christ died to pay for and to give him as a gift. Discipleship lesson three, and our one thing for, our, for the entire passage is following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weakness. Some people have an unrealistic idea that people like Paul just glowed with holiness and just loved misery. But I don't think that's true at all. In fact, Paul just confessed that when he faced the fires, when he faced the heat in his life, the thorns came out of his heart. And this is true of us all. I want us to take a look at this graphic that we often use to illustrate how uh, what happens. Uh, and it's from How People Change by Paul Tripp. So first, look at the top where it says heat. What is your situation? There will be those situations, especially hardships and suffering, that kick off this process. Then second, there is bad fruit. How do you react? These are the actions and behaviors that come out of the heat, that come out of the fires. Third, this leads to bad root. What do you want and what do you believe? So in other words, our actions and behavior that come out, those bad fruit, indicate what's actually in our hearts, the bad roots. And this is where, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we go to our Savior and King. We follow Jesus to the cross, and we submit to him again. And that's where it's fourth. 
Redeemer, who is God, and what does he say and do in Christ? We grow in awareness that God is more holy than we ever knew before. We grow in our awareness that we are more sinful than we ever knew before. But the good news that we preach to ourselves is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for those bad roots and bad fruit in our lives. And we, again, receive his his grace by faith. What God does by his grace is he gives us new hearts. He changes our hearts, which is fifth, good root. Seek God in repentance and faith. And then lastly, that leads to sixth, good fruit, responding in love. Or in Paul's words, in verse 30, we can boast of those things that show our weakness because we see how great and sufficient Jesus Christ is. Let's use the example that Paul himself gave uh, in his weakness from verses 32 and 33. Uh, I'm going to colorize this a little bit from, from what we know and what he's been talking about. The historical account of what happened is recorded in Acts 9, 19 through 25. Paul was Paul, before he was a believer, was on his way to Damascus to arrest and execute Christians there. But on the way there, on the road, Jesus encountered Paul and caused him to believe uh, believe in him as God's promised Savior and King. He was taken, by, taken in by Christians uh, in Damascus, and Paul began, after a while, to boldly preach about Jesus in the synagogues in that city of Damascus. The Jews in that city, uh, after a while, they realized what Paul was doing and they plotted to kill him. So Paul, what he did was he escaped Damascus by hiding in a basket that was lowered down the city walls via ropes that his friends were helping him down. Um, I want us just to imagine how Paul might have felt in that heat situation. Maybe what came out of him initially, that those bad thorns and bad bad root and bad fruit was anger. I mean, he was a passionate guy, so he's probably angry at his enemies now. Maybe it was fear. It was fear fear uh, for his life because never had he been on the receiving end of persecution. Maybe it was embarrassment because he had always thought he was a strong person and now he was hiding out in a basket like a coward. But when he went through, when he went to Jesus again, embracing his call to be saved by grace and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, as he crouched in that basket, perhaps what he did was he repented of what came out of his heart and he renewed his trust in Christ's call to be his disciple, the good fruit in his life, the good root in his life. Looking back, looking back at this situation, now writing his, this letter to the second, to, to the Corinthians, He could genuinely and joyfully praise God. That was the good fruit. In summary, from this perspective, hardship and suffering are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? God can use them to help us see in greater measures our own need for Christ. And that bears the good fruit of humility and dependence upon God. Genuine humility and dependence upon God. God can use them to help us see I use these sufferings in our lives to help us see in greater measures the folly of earthly values and pursuits, bearing the fruit in our good fruit in our lives of holiness and freedom from idols. 
God can use hardships and sufferings in our lives to help us see in greater measures the grace of God and the worthiness of Christ to be trusted and followed, bearing the fruit of thankfulness and bearing the fruit of passionate worship in his people. Let me share how, th- how to think about this from another point of view. Uh, it's a quote from Floyd McClung. Uh, he is a, an author and a missions, um, missions mobilizer in his book, Apostolic Passion. Quote, passion means whatever a person is willing to suffer for. In fact, that's the root meaning of the word. It comes from the Latin, passer, to suffer. It is what you hunger for so intensely that you will sacrifice anything to have it. The Father's passions have become your passions. You find your satisfaction and significance in him. You believe he is with you always to the end of life itself. You are sold out to God and you live for the Lamb. End quote. When we experiencing knowing Christ more and the power of his death and resurrection through suffering, what comes out is this incomparable, out of this world joy. The joy of knowing Christ this way helps us to understand that any suffering that we face is worthwhile. We can endure through them because we trust that God will bring about the good fruit in our lives of treasuring and glorifying Jesus Christ above anything else in this world. For our friends here who do not follow Jesus Christ yet, I want to tell you that we are not trying to sugarcoat you, sugarcoat it, or trick you into following Jesus. This is everything that you need to know. When you follow Jesus, there will be situations that are uncomfortable, conflict-creating, painful, maybe even dangerous. And so you should count the cost. But if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and King, he promises to save you from your sins and to give you new life. Uh, That means a new heart to know and love God and eternal life even after our earthly lives are done. If you follow that weakness will help you treasure and glorify Jesus in your lives. So Jesus addressed the question, or Paul addressed the question, who really is the fool? Who is really a servant of Christ? And who really is able to boast? Now let's think about the life application as we as we end. Here are the next steps I'd like to recommend to take in light of Paul's one thing, that following Jesus includes embracing situations that make us feel our true weaknesses. First, acknowledge the suffering that you face. What uncomfortable, conflict-creating, painful, or dangerous situations are you facing? How are you reacting to these situations? You know, I'd like to encourage you to do something very biblical, and that's to lament. In other words, you can grieve over hardships and suffering you face. You don't have to pretend that you're enjoying them. This is something that happens in the Bible a lot. And God can certainly handle all the complaining, questioning, and arguing that you can give. Also, do some honest reflection of what's coming out of your life, what's coming out of your heart, what actions, what thoughts, what feelings are coming out. You can bring those to Jesus, too, as you're more aware of your sinfulness and your need for him. This is actually a very good thing. Second, embrace your suffering by faith. What are the ways that you can appreciate Jesus 
and grasp the gospel more in these situations? What good fruit is God producing in you? The other part of biblical lament is confronting these difficult situations we're in with faith, with faith in God. We might not understand all the reasons why God is doing these things in our lives, but we can trust that he cares for us and that he is in control of everything in our lives. If you want reassurance of this, I just want us to turn our attention to the cross because God's eternal plan was to send Jesus to the cross and to endure, uh, endure the suffering because he loves us greatly. And he wants us to find our greatest joy and our greatest satisfaction in him alone. What we're going to do is we're going to have uh, go into breakout rooms in a moment. As I said in the beginning of this sermon, we won't do this all the time, but I do think that this is actually a great chance for us to disciple each other by intentionally building each other up. Uh, you can share what are your takeaways from today's sermon. Um, you can ask any questions or share any comments from today's sermon uh, to discuss. You can catch up and share prayer requests in light of the sermon. We'll set. We'll send... Um, Uh, these three questions out in the Zoom chat so you can have it for your reference when you're in your breakout rooms. If you feel, if you still feel totally weird about participating, then then just say so in the group and and just listen to others as they share. Um, So uh, we'll get back together after 10 minutes to close out our Sunday celebration together.